Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I invite you to go in your Bibles, go to Judges, the book of Judges this morning, and we're going to be looking in chapter 6 and 7. Now this year, (laughs) Southeast Michigan where we live, this has been a very unusual season for growing. It has kept our uh, lawn mowing team at great challenges, especially when your lawnmower decides to take a time out and need to go in the shop. And so I definitely appreciate all those who have been just working overtime to keep the grass. At least you can't contain it. Just try to, you know, you can't stop it. Just try to keep it under control a little bit. It's been in a wonderful environment for growth. And when we think about the environment that God has designed for spiritual life, it's the community of believers known as the church. This is where we are designed, living our lives together in this community of people whose souls have been bought by Jesus Christ, by his blood. This is the place where we grow. This is the place where we're real with one another. This is the place where we are known and we know one another. And that's okay. And we figure out and we find out more and more that we aren't all that yet, all right? We're not completed. He has begun a good work in us, and he will finish that work at the day of Jesus Christ. And we lean into that, and we long for that day. But this is where we embrace the good times together, and this is where we embrace the difficult times together. We go through the highs and lows of life together as a church family, and this is God's design for us. This is where we grow. And so we have as a core staple of our church, Christ-centered preaching, that we will open the word of God and we will see that it's all his story. If we're in the Old Testament, it's telling us about Jesus is coming. If we're in the New Testament, we see he came and he ascended. And then his spirit at work in the, in the New Testament church and the letters that are given and all, and all the way out to Revelation, which is where we're going in our study and we'll be there later on this fall. Where is it all going? It's going to the unveiling of Jesus Christ that every eye will see him as he is. Rejected the first time, but no more to be rejected when he returns, and his people cannot wait for him to be vindicated. Amen? So uh, Psalm 119 says it this way in verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old. So when you see the word rules, now we've been reading through many of you. Let me encourage you. We're reading through the entire Bible together. We get to Psalm 119, and you keep on hearing verse after verse of the way the psalmist describes the Word of God, the Scriptures, the truth. And when I think he says here, he describes the Word of God as your rules. Rules. I don't like rules. You fight them when you're on the road? You want other people to follow the rules. If you're crossing in a crosswalk, you want people to follow the rules. When he thinks of the rules, the word of God from of old, this is what a heart that is pursuing God, that is owned by God, he says, I take comfort, O Lord. When we look into his word and we're reminded of who he is and what he has said and what he has done, do you know what it does for the heart of the believer? (sighs) Comfort. Yes, it brings conviction. Yes, It challenges us. Yes, it shows us we need a Savior, but there's comfort, and we need that. I trust that you have been encouraged and that you will be encouraged once again today as we open the Word of God. This is where we see that God is always working for our good and for His glory. This is where we have unshakable joy. It's found in knowing the God of the Bible. Now, if you do not have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. All right, today... I want your eyes on your text, so if you're using, you know, a device, you're using an app, I want you to see it because it's not going to come on the screen. But if you do not have a Bible, under the chairs, you will find Bibles. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. Take it with you. That's why we put it out there. If If someone's looking for one, maybe help them out if you've got one by you and send it forward, all right? Does anybody need a Bible? Because I want you to have it in 
kind of in your face today, all right? I want you to see it there, but I want you to see the context to it because we're going to, we're going to cover some ground today, all right? Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7, the account of Gideon and the frightened few. Sounds like a band, right, coming near you? <laughs> Gideon and the frightened few. All right, so we've, we've, we have seen this. Now, God is always working. So th this is what I want to see from the text, and I want us to take comfort. God is always working. Okay, so you see that right at the heading of your notes. He's always working. And if we rightly see him, if we rightly respond to him, then we're going to find a comfort that will hold us through every up and down, every struggle, every strain, all the good times, bad times in our relationships, in life, in health, economy, everything. No matter who's elected or not elected and all of that, where are we getting our comfort from? Knowing God is always working. We've seen him working in the Exodus, delivering his people. We saw him working when he carried them through the Red Sea on dry land. We saw him when in the wilderness they were complaining and the Lord sent fiery serpents and then he put the serpent on the snake and said, look and live. If you look at that, my word will deliver you. Will you respond in obedience? Last week we saw in the conquest when Joshua went in across the Jordan and they took that first city, the prime city in the land of Canaan and began the conquest that God was coming through on his promise to Abram, I'll give you this land. But not yet because the Canaanite sins are not filled up yet. The Lord is patient with them. And now we come into this account, into the time of Judges, and in the time of the judges, we meet this, uh, this valiant man. Well, we'll let the scriptures tell us. But this is how we want to know. We want to see God is always working, first of all, for the revival of his wayward people. I want you to be comforted if you know Christ You probably are going through struggles, maybe times of being wayward yourself. I want you to know that he doesn't throw you away, but he's absolutely working in your life. So he sends various elements into our lives because he loves us and he's always working for the revival of his wayward people. First of all, he sends discipline. He sends discipline. And his discipline in our lives is for the purpose of rebuke and remaking us. To rebuke, to stop us in our sinfulness, to stop us in our waywardness, and to invite us back and to remake us after the image of his son, Jesus. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Now, if you go back into Numbers, and we're not going to go there this morning, but you can jot it down on the side, about Numbers 25 is where, uh, is where the false prophet Balaam comes, and he, and he makes his way in the previous chapters, and he gets, and he cannot curse the people of God much to Balak's, the king's, he's, just, what, he's so mad, I brought you here to curse these people. And so then Balaam offers in Numbers 25, he says, you want to know how you can defeat these people? Give them your daughters. Let them intermarry and let them mix their faith with your faith. And that's how you will defeat them from the in inside. It's like a Trojan horse. And that's what began to happen. They began bringing, just like Solomon would later experience, all of these foreign wives, and they began, there was immorality. You know, it's, it's, it's today. It's the world we live in. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever you want to do, as if there will not be consequences. There's always consequences. At the hand, verse 2, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and strongholds. Verse 3, Judges 6. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. 
They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel, verse 6, was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. You see, Israel throughout the time of the judges would often wander away. They would honor, the, the whole book of Judges is like a downward, it's like a toilet bowl. It's a downward spiral until you get to the end of the book of Judges and every man is doing that which is right in their own eyes and you see there needs to be a Messiah king. There needs to be a king. Somebody needs to come take charge of these people because they are making a mess of everything. When they wandered from the Lord, they would disobey and then they would suffer the consequences of that. They failed to prioritize God before everything and everyone else. And so their slow fade ended them up into doing whatever they wanted to do. That they would do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord is faithful. He's good to send discipline into the lives of his own. And so we see, we just read it. What did he do? He gave them. They're his people. He gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. The Midianites were overpowering to Israel. They caused the Israelites to head for the hills, to go hide out, to make caves. That's where many of these battles have taken place in the Middle East. Maybe some of our people here have served in Iraq. In those difficult terrains, that's similar terrain, similar territory. And they would hide and they were very hard to find. And then they would have elevation and advantage to at least be able to do something in a small way. At least an army couldn't overpower them when they're hiding out in a cave and good luck finding them in a cave on the side of a mountain. The Israelites became like, like a weakling that everybody could just pick on. Everybody could come. And wherever that kind of an environment is allowed... What happens in that environment? More wrong, more people taken advantage of, more sin, more evil, more wickedness, because there's no one there to say, stop. It's not right. This kind of an environment always leads to more evil, more theft, more abuse of all types, and more death. Have you seen the numbers of the murders? In the dangerous cities in our nation? It's like those who live in those places have no one to stand up for them and do right. And so they live in fear. And grocery stores close and leave. And pharmacies close and leave. And buildings become vacant. It's like this. It's like this. Israel was experiencing a vacuum of strong, godly men who knew how to lead well and protect and serve. There was a vacuum for male leadership. Nobody knew what time it is and what needs to be done. Sound familiar? The Israelites, the Bible says, were brought very low. They were emptied. They were dried up. They were impoverished because of Midian and the Malachites and the people of the east. But did you read at the end, they finally turned their attention to the God of heaven. They find seven years. That's some stubborn people. That this discipline has been going on seven years that's almost two presidential terms, right? Seven years. And finally they cry out to the Lord. We need to be rescued. We need to be saved. Help us. And I'm just wondering, what, what will it take for our nation? What will it take for the people of God that we cry out saying, it's actually not another politician that's going to save us. Lord, we actually need you and we need to be your hands and feet. So I'm not going to put my faith and trust in any human being. But we will trust in you, Lord. 
and we'll take appropriate responsibility to do all that needs to be done as citizens of the land where we live. For our consideration and application, listen, child of God, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. I would actually say in our own lives, look for the chastening of the Lord. Where is the Lord dealing with you? And if you stop for a moment and you think, how is the Lord disciplining me? Is the Lord disciplining me? When I just have no time for him, how do I see the Lord disciplining me in love, calling me back to faithfulness, calling me back to himself? And if you come up with, I don't really know that he is. You need to pause. We need to pause there and take a moment and say, what's going on in my heart and life if I'm just living as if there's no God? Am I seeking him first? You see, loved ones, he won't leave us in our sin without tending to us because he is the good shepherd and he lovingly cares for every single one of his flock. We sing that song, Oh, Come to the Altar. I think this is a good opportunity where you're thinking and you're like, I see the Lord, you're sending discipline. Turn to Jesus. Listen to what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, he talks about discipline and he says in verse five, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, our human fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. It's not always right there how dads discipline their children. We don't always get it right. But he, contrast here, he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Leave that verse on the screen. Parents, do you have a peaceful environment in your home? Fathers, do you see that God, our Father, is active to bring peace into our lives? And it's not easy, and it doesn't come without a price. And it doesn't always mean brute force, but there is an activity that is upon the fathers to ensure that, that we can enjoy our families and our lives together. That's what God is doing in our lives. But like a spoiled child, we often miss it. Hey, why is God doing that? Hey, what a lose a job. Why the economy? Why? And we get mad and we, get, we fight back and we don't see that the Lord is actually doing something in our lives to say you're grabbing on to something very insignificant and small. And the tighter you grab, the more I'm going to pry those fingers back that you open up and you live open-handed. How will I bless you if you live like this? Besides, what do we have that truly belongs to us? It's all his. That's a very key. Hebrews 12, mark that passage. He sends his discipline, but he also sends his word. We must keep moving here, all right? He also sends his word. This is going to stretch into two weeks, all right? His word. I'm surprised Ginger didn't say amen right there. She's constantly telling me. All right, um, chapter uh, 6, look at verse 7. He sends his word to remind us of what is true. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. Wait a second, a prophet? That's like sending our pastor. Like we need, SEAL team lost a member. We, hey, send our pastor. Nobody's ever said that. Send a prophet. And the prophet said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery, 
I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but problem, you have not obeyed my voice. The Lord's response to the people crying out for help is he sends them a prophet. He sends them the word of the Lord. Listen now. The condition of their hearts was far more important to God than their comfort or the status of their freedom. Are you hearing me? The condition of our hearts is far more important to God than whatever the political climate is right now in our nation or what the interest rate is or what the tax rate is or anything else is the condition of our hearts. And easily I can find myself right here with these Israelites. What is wrong? What's going on? So the Lord sends a prophet. Hey, remember your God? Remember Jehovah? Remember Yahweh? Remember what he did for you? You've forgotten, haven't you? You forgot he delivered you out of Egypt. You forgot he brought you through the Red Sea. You forgot he put you in this land that that wasn't yours. He gave it to you. And you forgot that he said, don't worship the gods who all lost and were defeated when you get in that land. Do you remember what God commanded you? Recognize what you have done, but you have not obeyed my voice. Problem. Admitting our sin is the first step to getting right with God. Loved ones, it begins with repentance. Saying the same thing about my own heart, my own life, my own thoughts that God says about them. Saying the same thing about Jesus that God proclaimed about Jesus. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Same thing Moses said. God will send you a prophet from among you like me. Listen to him. Hear him. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to God, turning to Christ. It involves the mind. It involves the heart. It involves the will. It's a 180-degree change, and it's everything. It's not just saying, oh, I believe. I sang the song, I believe. It's everything in us confessing that I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be rescued, but Lord, help. Rescue me. And then the Lord sends a deliverer. He sends a deliverer, and we see that he sends the deliverer to rescue us. Here comes the one who will rescue. Now, as the readers, we're, uh, we're thinking, oh, we're about to be rescued. The prophet, yeah, he didn't, he didn't help too much. He just told us where we were messing up. Now we're going to get the, who's the savior? Who's the one coming in? It's going to look a little bit like Captain America before he got all the treatment. <laughs> like, what? The call of Gideon. That's probably what your Bible says, you know. Just, you can hear it, the call of Gideon. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came. This is, this is humorous, okay? Sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. He's sunken down in. So there's an angel sitting there, and out of the hole is like wheat coming up out of the like It's almost like a cartoon, you know, like comical. And the angel's sitting out here, and Gideon's down. That's not where you thresh. You need wind. He's throwing the grain up, and it's all falling back down. It's going to take forever to do this. There's the angel of the Lord sitting there, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, well, thank you, my Lord, for noticing that. I... No, it's not what he says. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? I heard the prophet But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. What's God going to do to this guy? Sounds like Martha to Jesus and Mary to Jesus late for Lazarus and he died, doesn't it? How does God respond to this kind of backtalking? And the Lord turned to him and said, 
Wow. <laughs> where's the Lord? What have you done? And where's this all we've heard about? And, and listen to what he says to him. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So in the next verses, Gideon runs up to the house. He prepares a meal. He comes back. The angel, he sets this, this meat, verse 20, and the angel of God said to him, take the meat of, un, and the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock, pour the broth over them. This sounds a little bit like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, but the Lord said to him, so he thought he was going to die, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Bezrites. So we see the angel of the Lord. He came to Gideon. Oh, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon's scared to death. He's hiding. He's expressing his despair to the angel. He even moves into displeasure with God. Why is all this going on? I don't understand. I'm frustrated with God. God's behind this. And the Lord dispatches Gideon for the war, go. Then he argues with the Lord, I can't save Israel. Do you know who I am? My clan, my people are nobody. And besides that, do you know who I am? I'm always the little guy getting picked on in the family. You know, the cousins get together. He's the one at the bottom of the stack, the dog pile. He's like, how am I going to do this? But then the Lord reaffirmed his calling on his life. He says, did you forget what I told you? I'll be with you. I will be with you. That's the difference. You're not alone. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I will give you the complete and total victory. It's like it's already done. Just like the Lord told Joshua when it came to Jericho. And Gideon respond when he realized, I haven't just been talking with another person here. I've been talking with the angel of the Lord. And I didn't. I'm going to die. How am I going to survive this? The messenger vanished and God comforts Gideon, right after that, peace be to you. I didn't come to kill you. You deserve it, Gideon. Your people deserve it. The Midianites, the Amalekites, the Americans, we all deserve it. But he's sending a deliverer. And here we see he's sending for the glory of God and the deliverance of Israel, a man named Gideon. And there he built an altar. He worshiped. Now, if you go on to read in Gideon's life, he, end, he ends up you know, dying in the time to come. And his children, it's a horrific outcome of his family. But the Son of God came to earth, was born in a scrawny little town of Bethlehem, exiled to Egypt, returned to Nazareth. And you remember what Nathaniel Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What good comes out of there? That's a nowhereville. If you blink, you miss it. You know, I mean, what good comes out of that little place? And the greatest of all became the least of all to the, live the life that none of us could live, perfection, and died the death that we deserve to die, was buried and rose again to defeat the enemy that we have no hope against. Gideon needed a rescuer. Luke 2.11, remember the angel said, 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, what's the word? A Savior. Who is Gideon? No. Christ the Lord. Philippians 3.20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Well, who is this Savior? Joshua. Mm -hmm, Close, but no. Moses? Abraham. David? No. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming. God is always working for the revival and the of his wayward people. And secondly, he's always working for the strengthening of his weak servants, all right? So we've been introduced to this Gideon. He's a weak guy. He's a nobody. He's a no-hoper. Nobody voted for him to be, I think he's gonna be the next deliverer. No, he didn't see it coming. He didn't see it coming. So what does the Lord give to us if he's gonna strengthen weak servants? Well, something has to happen in our life And so he gives into our lives testing. He gives testing. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 25, Gideon gets an opportunity to be faithful in the little things. Start at home. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull. And he he tells him, go out, and I want you to take down the altar that is built there to Baal. Your father has it. Cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here. And the stones, lay those stones in due order. Then take the second bull, offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah you cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. Wow, that's great. Except, read on, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of his town to do it by day, when did he carry out this mission? At night. It's a secret op. This guy's scared to death. The Lord sent him on a mission in his hometown. Here's what we're going to try out. Go take down the altar. Start at home. Listen, you want to change the world? Start in your house. Start there. That's the point here. Gideon, begin at home. Nothing turns off children from the faith than seeing parents profess one way in public and do anything spiritual for God, but at home they're not that person. So we need to repent of that. And here, look at this guy. He goes home, he's, hey, 10 people. I need 10 people to go with me and we're going to do it at night. His neighbors were filled with rage. They were ready to have a public execution. When the men of the town rose early, uh, verse 28, in the morning, here's the altar of Baal broken down. The Asherah's all cut. Who's done this thing? After they searched, they found Gideon has done it, verse 30. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash, hey, welcome Joash to the club now. He's finally getting some lights are coming on in home here. He said to everyone who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for, him, contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he, if Baal is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Why would you serve a god that can't defend his own little altar? You're upset with my son and you're serving a god that is subservient to little Gideon over there? And you want to kill Gideon? and your God can't defend himself from Gideon, my son, you leave my boy alone. Way to go, Dad. He's finally stepping up here. Better late than never. Listen, men, better late than never. If God is mercifully getting a hold of our hearts today and changing some things in our lives, then praise be to God. All right, don't say, well, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, we're not dogs. We're made in the image of God and he has blessed us, many of us with children or even children in the faith. Let's make a difference in their lives. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. The Lord says it this way. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Hey, Gideon, let's see what you do with a little task. 
Before we send you out there against an enemy nation serving false gods, let's see how you do with your father. Now, can we be honest? Is that not the hard conversations to have is with our family members? Was Gideon honoring his father to cut down his personal family altar to Baal? Yeah, because he was obedient to the Father in heaven. We may be dads, we may be fathers, but there is someone we will stand before. We're not the greatest and we're not overall. He is. And so in this, children obey your parents in the Lord. So Gideon had a choice. Am I going to please Yahweh or my dad? And in pleasing Yahweh, it was most pleasing and most honorable for his dad. Now the Lord also gives his spirit. He gives his spirit. So here, Gideon was a good steward. Now he gives his spirit to empower us for obedience. Judges 6.33, now all the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east came together. They crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. And the Bezerites were called out. Don't you love that name? The Bezerites, you can really put emphasis on there, were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. So that's his people. You see where it started at home. Now it's moving out through the tribe. And they too were called out to follow him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. So here they come. Here's all these enemy nations. They're coming in like terrorists. They just come in and they destroy. They take everything. They just come in. This is going on. This, this kind of... Um, people just stealing everything. They're just going into stores and they just steal everything. And so if you open a business and you put all of your, your, your equity and your life goes into that business to try to make a living and then people just come in and they steal it all. It's dishonoring to the Lord. It's sin. It's wrong. And if you don't deal with that, then people steal lives and they steal children and they steal young women and they traffic them and they use, they, what can I take that I can make money and profit off of? That's what we see here. God is not okay with that. So he's sending little old Gideon after him. Spirit of the Lord clothed him. What happens? He sounds the trumpet. <laughs> sends out the word. Come on, we're going to fight. Let's go. The Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God would come on people and then he would empower them for a task and then leave in the New Testament. Jesus promised the comforter, the helper, and he said, when he comes, he will abide. I am with you always. He doesn't come and leave. We don't have to come to a service and let's, let's really try to get the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lives in every believer. What we need to do is walk in the Spirit. What we need to do is abide in Christ, obey him, draw near to him. We don't get more of the Spirit and less of the Spirit. If we belong to him, we are sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. So then he gives assurance. We need that. He gives testing. He gives a Spirit. He gives assurance to remind us of his sovereign grace. They, I've got this. And so Gideon moves into this phase, and he's like, um, Lord, verse 36, if... Why is he saying if? The Lord already told him I'm going to do this. Um, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry all the ground, then I'll know that you are going to save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning, squeezed the fleece, wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water, then Gideon said to God, thank you, Lord, now I can go in your might. Uh, no, that's not what he said. Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Let me please test you once more with the fleece. But this time, Lord, please let it be dry in the fleece only and all the ground around it be wet. And there's dew. And God said, stop wasting my time, you loser. You call that prayer? And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only and all the ground around was due. Are you getting a glimpse of this guy that the Lord is going to save his people with? You need someone you can identify with in Scripture. Like, I can't really identify with Paul. I can't really identify with David. Gideon's my guy. He is my guy. I found him. My life verse is coming out of here somewhere. I'm going to find it. The Lord was so patient and kind with Gideon. Are you, are you seeing this all in your mind, the angel? 
wheat coming up, you know, you mighty man, I'm going to send you. And okay, but how about the fleece? And then like, whoa, can we try that the other way around? Maybe that was just by chance. That was an accident that happened, Lord, you know. Oh my goodness. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, Gideon, that God's kindness, Brian, put your name in there, is meant to lead you to repentance. Loved ones, do not be confused. Patience, the patience of the Lord is not weakness. The patience of the Lord is not weakness, that he's patiently allowed you to do all that you've done in your life, even sin and go wayward, and maybe you haven't ever come to faith in him and you think, is he there? Is he weak? Is he, you know, the old man upstairs somewhere? Do you, do you think that's who this God is that spoke creation into existence? He is not weak. He's patient. And his patience and his kindness is meant to draw us to repent us. repentance. It's to change us. Now we see his plan. That's what Gideon needs. He needs a plan. And we get into chapter 7. It leads us to wonder. It leads us to worship. Gideon, we see he's got the 300 men. They've all gathered around, and, and wait a second, 300 men. Verse 1 of chapter 7, then, then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon. This guy's got a new title here. This guy kicked Baal in the teeth, and he's still walking around. It's Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Murrah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, uh, the people you, with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Gideon, he's the man. We helped Gideon win the war. So, verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. You hear what the Lord is saying? Hey, Gideon, wonderful job here, buddy. You had 32,000 show up. If you're Gideon, you're thinking, whoa, I'm the scared guy, and there's 32,000. That's like a stadium full of people, and they're all waiting on me. And the Lord says, hang on, time out. Coach's meeting. You got too many people. If you deliver with all these people, they're going to say, look what we did. High fives, everybody. He said, so here's what you're going to do. Anybody who's afraid. Tell him to get on out of here. Go home. Now, put yourself in Gideon's shoes. <clears throat> Have a word from the Lord. Begin the meeting. Gavel drops. Whatever happens. There might be somebody, maybe one of you, two of you here that are a little afraid today. And I understand. And the Lord understands. And if anybody's afraid, you know, I doubt there is. But if anybody is here and you're just a little bit afraid, you can go ahead and there's the door. 22,000. Hey, I got to go. Need these tissues? I'm out of here. See ya. They're gone. We're down to 10,000. Now, if you're in Gideon's spot, you're thinking, count it up. How many, how many? 10,000, 10,000 going up against. Oh, boy. Oh, that's still. Okay, 10,000. Okay, all right, 10,000. And the Lord said to Gideon, let's carry on. Verse 4, the people are still too many. What? What? I want you to take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. Notice the Lord didn't tell him what person it was going to be. He just says, I want you to divide the group up. So he brought the people, verse 5, down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue... As a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of people, those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths with 300 men, the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. Okay, so you get an idea. And, and some people, I, I remember hearing a message as a child where the Lord was like, uh, where the pastor was saying that these 300 men were like, the, these guys, we're watching, we're watching, we're drinking the water, we're watching. And then there's the other people who are just like face down in the water. I actually think it's the opposite. The people who are like, whoa, water, I'm so thirsty. And they just get down and they're drinking the water and they just, you know, no care in the world. They're confident, we're good. The, the war hasn't started yet. And then you've got 300. 
You know, they're just... And, the, and, and then, you know, in Gideon's mind, he's thinking, oh, please, not those three. Please, not the 300. Please send the 300 home, please. And then he waits on the word from the Lord. And the Lord said to Gideon, no, 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 Lord, please, no. Verse 7. With the 300 men who lapped, keep them. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but kept, retained. He was stuck with the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Well, now they don't need a sound system. You have 300 guys. Isn't this incredible? Isaiah 55, verse 8, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Gideon, you are not yet thinking like me. Now he gives confidence. He gives confidence in these verses 9 to 14. This confidence is not a man-made. It's not generated from a man. It's not human confidence. This is from the Lord. That same night, verse 9, the Lord said to him, Hey, Gideon, I want you to do something. Arise. Get up. Get up. I need my rest, Lord. Get up. You don't need rest. It's not going to help you. Go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Do you, have you been counting how many times the Lord has said, I've got this. I'm going to give it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, my little buddy, Giddy, if you're afraid to go down, go down in the camp with Pura, your servant. Take your servant with you. Take your right-hand man, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So if you're a chicken, take your servant with you. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, <laughs> to the outpost of the armed men who were at the camp. The Lord said I could. Pura, you're with me, buddy. Come on. Do you get it? He is still frightened to death. He is still not believing the Lord. The Midianites, verse 12, the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. A little overwhelming. When Gideon, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell. And it turned it upside down so the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And Gideon is hearing this. At that very moment, there's just tents as far as the eye can see, and he's by the tent with the guy who had a dream, and the other buddy is like, I know what the dream means. We're all going to die. Their God is going to defeat us by the hand of Gideon. Sounds a little bit like Jonathan when he was out there on the front. He had a right-hand man in 1 Samuel 14.6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, the Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Hey, you remember what God did with the hand of Gideon? Jonathan says to his right-hand man, Why don't we go put God to the test? Let's go do something. I'm tired of sitting here. Let's go see what God will do. Then the Lord gives wisdom. And this is wisdom from a divine perspective. Verse 15 of chapter 7, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. So now we see that Gideon is worshiping again. And he returned to the camp of Israel and he said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. What happened to Gideon? He heard what he heard, and he immediately, he worshiped. Shakah, he bowed down. That's the Hebrew word. He just fell down. He was humbled in the presence of the Lord. He was put in his place, and he realized God is God over all peoples, over all nations, just like he told Joshua. I'm not on your side or their side. The question is, whose side are you on? You think I like this nation or that nation? The question is, is will the people of that nation come and worship at the throne of the creator God? 
man, he comes back. He moves forward. He's got, he's got a vision now. He's got zeal now. He's going to carry out the plan of God. Something has just radically happened here. Verse, six, verse uh, 16, and he divided 300 men into three companies, put trumpets into their hands, all of them, empty jars, torches inside the jars. He said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. What happened to this guy? He's radically changed. What will happen in our lives if we get a glimpse of who this God is and what he would do with our lives if we can actually get up our, our nose out of our phones for a second or out of the news for a minute? If we can actually get out of just the constant spin of nothing world, of people who are imploding but, but making it for a moment, and we catch a glimpse of we have one life and there's a God who is over all and he wants to use you and he wants to use me. This guy comes back, now he has boldness. He has boldness to do all that God has called him to do. And he comes back, he's on fire. Verse 19, so Gideon and the hundred men with, with, with him that came to the outskirts of the camp, the beginning of the middle of the watch. And when they had just set the watch, they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. He called men to stand and fight for what is right. Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. You see what he's doing here? He put forward the battle. He said, hey, here, let's go. Go with me. Comes back. Puts forth the battle plan. 300. All right, 100 over here, 100 over there. You, 100, you with me. We're going to put the pitcher, and you got some kind of a torch, and it's in a clay pot, and you're going to break that, and you got a trumpet, and all it, we get into position. So we're sneaking. It's stealth. There's changing the watch down in the camp of the Midianites. Like, yeah, hey, good, quiet. Yeah, it's all quiet. Ain't nothing going on. All right, all right, good. I'll see you in the morning. All right. You know, and there they are. And all of a sudden, crack, 300 torches with the pitchers around him crack open. There's 300 torches of light and one if Gideon's got one. And then all of a sudden, they hear the trumpet sound, a call to judgment, and then they hear the shout. This guy has boldness now. He's leading these men. They're behind him. This is, God took these 300 and Gideon, and he's going to accomplish a victory through nobodies. Why? Well, that's the third thing. That God is always working for the renown of his own glory. He's always working for the renown of his own glory. And so he offered to, to Gideon and to those who would trust him, he offers to you, he offers to me, victory. He offers victory. It's entirely of the Lord. Verse 21, every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shedah toward Zerahah, as far as the border of Abil Meholah by Taboth. You see what happened? Complete chaos. 300 men, and you would think if you were one of the 300, like, where's my sword? <laughs> you know, where I got something, right? Where, I got nothing? Here, here's a trumpet. What do I do with the trumpet? <laughs> They're coming at me. <laughs> blow a trumpet at them. Like, blow it harder. Come on. Here's a torch. What good is this going to do? And Gideon is confident at this time. It's not us that are going to do the fighting. It's the Lord. Trust in the Lord. I'm going with the Lord. All bets on the Lord. Gideon and a frightened few. They did exactly what they were told to do. They got into position. Think about that. They all got into position. They stood there like a choir. Like, good, you know? I mean, you've seen the young men in choir. You know, they stand up here and like, oh, this is embarrassing, you know? 300 men, the misfits, there they are, and they're in place. The enemy wakes up. They're startled. They're confused, and they proceed to just take each other out. 
The Lord turned the power of the overwhelming enemy back on their own heads. What they meant for evil, God used for good for his own people and for his glory and for his glory, but it doesn't end there because we read of the victory, but we also see opportunity. There's opportunity for many more to get involved in the work of the Lord. It just doesn't stop there. And I'm like, well, I, I missed it. I wasn't part of the 300, you know. That's, maybe next time I'll, I'll get there, you know. Oh, no, listen. The men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites. Capture the waters against them far as Bethra. They went after him. This is almost like when David stands up before the Goliath and he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. And he swings that stone, hits him in the head, cuts his head off with his own sword. And then the whole people of Israel are like, he didn't do that. God did that. Let's go. And when we read, this is how we're comforted. When we read, this is our God. This is what he does. He's patient. And Paul the apostle would learn, God uses weak leaders because he gets the glory when all of their strength doesn't come from their book sales and the people that watch them and all these things that comes from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Read the last line. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. That's what Paul learned. That's what Gideon learned. That's what you and I have to learn. And we have to keep circling back and coming back to this. When I'm trusting in my own might, wisdom, abilities, I'm gonna fall flat on my face every time. So Lord, help me to learn what Gideon learned. Help me to learn what Paul learned. God is always working for the revival of his wayward people, for the strengthening of his weak servants. Just think about that. Now hiring weak servants. <laughs> our pastor he is just so weak you know that's god delights in that worldly wisdom all that it's just the world looks on and says i got no use for that that's weak that gospel is weak trust in a carpenter out of nazareth two thousand years ago what does that have to do with my life that's so foolish that's so weak but he's a creator of all things and he's coming again so he is always working for the renown of his own glory. And that's the best place for you and me to be, is enjoying his glory. That's why we are created. So what do we take away? All right? If we're going to put something you know, in, in our hearts and take away, listen to this now. God is willing and able to use anybody. Anybody. You can put your name in there. Well, I don't know if the Lord can use you. Did you read it? Were you paying attention to Gideon? The scaredy cat. God used him. And God will use you. God's process for my development is always right and righteous and what is best for me. So why am I complaining and struggling and just moaning and uh, uh, the economy and uh, uh, what's going on? Do I trust him or I don't trust him? There's no situation in our lives that is beyond God's authority or his ability to change, loved ones. You're thinking about maybe your relationships, parents, children, maybe to your own parents, maybe to siblings, maybe in a marriage, and you think, this is, I don't know, I can't see how this is ever gonna be resolved. That's why we're doing this series. Because we all are desperate for divine rescue, not another program of man. We need divine rescue in our lives. We need to come to that place of complete surrender and that is the place for God to use me most effectively. For God to use you the most effectively, then this is it. That was their fighting position that night. Pitchers up, trumpets up, blowing, shouting, worshiping. And God carried out the battle. That, my friends, is divine rescue. Are you in need of divine rescue? This is your posture. God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. 
I'm done fighting you. I trust you. And you know what he will do? Did you read it in Gideon? Gideon worshiped. Maybe today is the day you become a worshiper, a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's stand together because we're going to sing and we're going to worship the Lord. Oh God, I thank you for these accounts in Scripture. I thank you that we can gain strength and hope and encouragement, conviction by your Spirit. God, we need for you to do in our lives what you did in and through Gideon. Lord, we need to be rescued and there are people in our lives who need divine rescue, so will you use us in that way? Lord, we're not coming with swords, real literal swords, but we come with the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces all the way to the soul. It cuts all the way to the core and convicts us and it cuts away what is wrong and it cleanses us and it puts into place what is right. So Father, we worship you. We thank you for Jesus and we exalt him. Use us for your glory and help each one of us, Lord, to build our lives on Christ and on Christ alone. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.